Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin from verse 1, 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. May God bless the reading from his holy word. Please be seated. Morning once again. How many are first-timers today? You know, if you're a visitor, if you're a first-timer, raise your hand, please. First-timers? All right. Praise God. Ushers, please take note of our first-timers because as promised, I promised two Sundays ago that we will be giving out our daily bread devotional for the first-timers. So you will get the 2024, our daily bread, okay, free from from our church, right? So we encourage you to bring someone, invite your friends. We have special tokens for them as well. All right? Now, we come to the most exciting passage of the Christmas season. In the past Sundays, we've been seeing the Christmas story from the vantage point of Mary, all right? From Joseph. So from Mary, we learn to be committed, just like Mary. And then from Joseph, we learn the value of being courageous, you know, to accept the plan of God, even if it costs you difficulties. And then last Sunday, we also found the perspective of the shepherds to the Christmas, being convinced our world today is skeptical about Christ, cynical about things in the Bible. But it's important that as Christians, we have to be convinced of the truth because our faith is our foundation in this chaotic world. Now today, we go to this passage of story where Joseph and Mary said yes, and now we fast forward nine months later after they said yes to the plan of God. So we are going to study the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Now why they are heading to Bethlehem, we will see. They are from Nazareth, but why they are in Bethlehem and why was Christ born in Bethlehem? So that's the lesson that we are going to study this morning. So as we continue with our series, How to Live Confidently in the Lord in a Chaotic World, this is our eighth lesson. Stay on course. Stay on course. 
Stick to the path that God has given you. You know, it's one thing for Mary and Joseph to say yes to God's call. I mean, how could they refuse? It's God who is asking them. But now, we're following their story, their journey, and now we find that when the rubber meets the road, is it still the right path to follow? Are we still in the right course when difficulties and challenges come? So we're talking here of nine months later. Mary is about to give birth. Joseph perhaps was still wondering, could this be the right thing to do? (laughs) So, are we staying on course? Now, friends, the lesson we find here is very important because in our world today that is filled with uncertainties, nothing is certain in the world today. Today can be very peaceful. Tomorrow can be so chaotic. What is the lesson of Christmas for us. And from our lesson today, we have to stay on course. In other words, we need to follow the plan of God. Now, what do you mean by that idiom, stay on course, or the proper way actually is stay the course? What do you mean by that? When somebody says, stay the course, or stay on course, it means to continue with your current path, plan, or actions without deviating or quitting, especially in the face of challenges or difficulties. From these seven verses, we find, brethren, Luke, the writer, giving us the three settings to the birth of Christ. Right? Three settings that would guide us, follow the path. All right? Because following God is not easy, I tell you. How many of you would agree with me that following the will of God is not easy? Raise your hand. It's not easy. All right? Following the plan of God might be unpopular in the world. Following the will of God, you might find yourself at odds with the world because the standard of the world is changing. The world today tries to remove God in their path. When we want to follow the Lord, it's going to be difficult. We find ourselves, you know, at odds with the standards of the people around us. Your actions, your standards will be judged by people, not based on the truth of the Scripture, but based on what they believe is right and acceptable. And we find that already, especially now that the Pope himself, I mean, recently you probably already heard, you know, that he is giving, not literally legalizing it, but he said that it's now okay for priests to give blessings to same-sex marriages. Now, for the past few years, we're saying, you know, as long as the Catholic Church is strong on this, but that time has come. Even, you know, the biggest 
powerful church in the world already follow the world. See? So, should we follow? Stay on the course. Amen? Because Jesus said already, time will come when everyone will consider us enemies. Time will come that people will hate us not because of what we believe, but people will hate us because of Him, because we follow Him. All right? Stay on the course. And that's the lesson we find from Joseph and Mary as they continued the path of God, even if, you know, as they were drawing near to the birth of Christ, things were becoming more and more difficult for them from society, from the world, right? But this is what the Bible says in Galatians 4.4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman. Friends, there is a setting. There is a set time, a kairos time for the birth of Christ. There is an appointed time. When Christ came here on earth, it wasn't just about coincidence. It wasn't chance. Christ was born at the exact time, at the exact place where God wants him to be. And it's important for Joseph and Mary to stay the course. See? Even though God has his plan, even though God has his will, but listen, you and I will still have to make a decision. Will I follow God or not? Because God will not force you to follow His will. It's still your choice and my choice. And so, let us go back to the nativity scene before the birth, shortly before the birth. And I'm going to give you three settings to the birth of Christ. So first, we'll talk about the global setting. And then, the prophetical setting. And then third, we're going to see the personal setting to the birth of Christ. And from these three settings, we are going to learn on how to stay on God's course, even if the world is pressuring us to stop following Him. All right? Are you ready? Now let's begin. First one is the global setting. God has a global setting for the birth of Christ. The world was so ripe. The world was really moving towards how God wants His Son to be born. You have to understand that God is the God who is sovereign, that God is orchestrating the universe to follow His path. And here we find that history is following the path of God. And how should we take the, the global plan of God, you just have to rest on it. Trust it. Don't fight it. You just have to rest that it's part of God's plan that there's going to be war. People are asking me, you know, if there is a God, where is there's war? If there's a God, why there's so much injustices? And I will just have to tell you, you go back to the Scripture. This has been ordained. It has been part of God's global plan that the world will be, what? Will become worse than ever. Contrary to what we desire, 
the world will not be getting better and better. It's very clear from the scripture. In the last days, the world will become more terrible. And so we have to rest on God's global plan. Now, let's go to verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Let's focus first on these three, three verses. First, Luke tells us in those days, what days is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the days of Herod. How do we know that? Remember, this is a letter, the Gospel of Luke is actually a very long letter that Luke wrote to Theophilus. All right? And we find that in chapter 1, the setting, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In those days, in the days of what? In the days of Herod, king of Judea. So that's the setting. Now we need to understand, friends, that Luke is a very careful historian. He's not just a doctor, but he's a very careful historian. And so what's wonderful with the Gospel of Luke is that he makes sure that when he gives us information about Christ, he gives a pinpoint history to back up his information. So we need to understand, brethren, that the Christian faith is not a fic fictional faith. It's based on facts. Amen? That when we open our scripture, we are also like opening a history book. In the days of Herod, who, which Herod is this? You might be asking because we know in history, there were so many Herods. Is this, is this the same Herod that took the head of John the Baptist? Because if you read from the gospel, when Jesus was born, there was a Herod. When Jesus was 30 years old, there was a Herod. In the book of Acts, there was also a Herod that was responsible for putting to death a lot of Christians. So which Herod is this? Well, this Herod is Herod the Great. All right? This is the father Herod. The other Herods were his sons. All right? And he is known as Herod the Great. He was great. He was loved somehow by the people because he was the hero who was responsible of rebuilding the second temple, expanding it. All right? So for that mighty construction, somehow people like him, but people hated him, really. The Jews hated him because he was a puppet king of the Romans. He's not really a Jew. <laughs> He's not a Jew himself, but he was just a puppet. But yes, he was the king who was responsible for the massacre of babies during the birth of Christ. So that's the setting, all right? Hero the Great. Now let's... Continue. In those days, that's the days of Herod, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Now, here's another important pinpoint of history. Luke tells us that the birth of Christ took place when Caesar Augustus 
was the emperor of Rome. Now, who was Caesar Augustus? Do you know him? Now, he's a very important man, by the way. Okay? Probably he is the greatest emperor who ever lived. In fact, he was the one who built the Roman Empire. <laughs> All right? He was a great leader. Now, Caesar Augustus was one of the, you know, most powerful, successful leader, if not the number one, who led to the rise of the Roman Empire. He was born with the name Gaius Octavius. He's known as the Octavian Emperor. He was the great-grand-nephew of Julius Caesar. All right? So he was born in high places. All right? He was a powerful man. He was the emperor who was responsible for the Pax Romana. During his reign, he brought peace to the world. He was the emperor who was responsible for building roads so that during the time we have this, they have this saying, all roads lead to Rome. He's the guy. He was the emperor who united the world so that during the time people could understand, people could trouble, and people can be safe going, you know, from, from the ends of the earth. You know, from people from Asia going to Europe, from Africa going to Asia. People can do that with the safety and with the provision of, you know, good and better roads. He brought peace. He brought stability. And during that time, people could actually understand each other because he made one particular language that everyone can understand, Greek. And it was during this time that Christ came. It was during this time that the gospel was preached. It was during this time that people can actually read the word of God and understand each other. And there you find it, brethren, the global setting of God. God was using a pagan emperor to fulfill his plan. Remember Galatians 4.4? 4? In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Not too early, making sure that when his son was born, the world was already prepared to hear the gospel. This was the time when Paul was writing the scriptures, when the other writers, that people could actually understand. That's why Paul can travel. That's why the disciples could travel the world. Why? Because Caesar Augustus provided the peace, the protection. And that's the world where Christ was born. Friends, it's amazing, isn't it? All right? That's the global plan of God. Making sure that everything going on in the world follows His plan. Why? Because the birth of Christ is the zenith. You know, it's the pinnacle of the plan of God. God has so many plans, but the greatest plan of God is to bring salvation to humanity. To bring back sinners to be saved, to be with Him. And it all starts with the birth of a Savior. So, let me show you the map. This is the map of the world during the Roman Empire under Caesar Augustus. All those colorful 
places that's part of the Roman Empire. See? That's why when the Bible says the whole, the whole world, the whole world, you know, literally it's not saying everything, the globe. The whole world at that time is simply the whole world of the Roman Empire. And thanks to Caesar Augustus. Now, the Bible tells us that when he was reigning, he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, we know what is a census, right? We, you know, our own government conducts census once in a while. Now, during the time, there are only two purposes while a census is being done. One is to, to get more military men. So they do a census, you know, to know who are the men in each of the family so that when Caesar wants all these men to serve him, it's easy for him to call. So these are all, you know, reserve soldiers. That's one reason. The other reason for a census is what? Taxation. All right? And according to history, this particular census was not for military purpose because... Again, it was peaceful. He had all the military in the world, but it was taxation. You know, Rome needed money to build all these roads, infrastructure, because Caesar Augustus was expanding the empire. He needed more money. That is why all people, all provinces under the Roman world were part of this census. All right? And that includes the nation of Israel. There was a nation of Israel at the time. They were just a province of, you know, of Rome. All right? And we are told also, not only was that during the time of Herod, of Caesar Augustus, but Luke gives us even a little detail on who was the governor at the time. This was the first census that took place and here's another historical pinpoint. Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, let me just give you some problems here. Based on history, Quirinius became governor of Syria years later. In other words, this gave historians and skeptics, you know, one particular loophole in the scripts. They're saying, oh, the Bible is not perfect because Quirinius was governor of Syria, but the dating there, it's later. And Christ cannot be born in that. So this is a technical, historical error. Luke is wrong here. See? Skeptics, because when, when it says Quirinius was governor of Syria, it was Decades later. And so it would not fall supposedly on the dating of the birth of Christ. Well, skeptics could easily say, see, the Bible is wrong. But you know what, brethren? Amazing. Just, you know, to tickle your historical, you know, appetite. In 1764, take note. In 1764, a fragment of stone was found near Tivoli. This is in Italy. And this stone contains inscription honoring a Roman official 
who was governor of Syria and Phoenicia during the reign of Augustus. All right? And who, who is this official? Quirinius. In other words, before this fragment was found, people were saying the Bible is wrong because Quirinius and Augustus were never on the same time. But from this, you know, from this inscription, from this discovery of a fragment, from this artifact, we find that Quirinius became a governor years before. In other words, it was possible at that time that he became governor twice. The first one was not recorded. Only from this inscription which was excavated in 1764. And that vindicated our historian Luke. That means there are no mistakes in the scripture. Artifacts prove that what Luke tells us about the global setting was right. So what's the point here, brethren? The point here is this. In Proverbs 21 verse 1, the Bible says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of waters, he turns it wherever he wishes. Brethren, the point is this. God knew exactly the hearts of men the hearts of the emperor, the hearts of governors. And here we find that God is orchestrating global history that it always point and pave the way towards the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That it was part of God's directing history so that even He can use pagan emperors such as Caesar Augustus to prepare the way. So can you imagine this? I don't understand, Pastor. Remember, Joseph and Mary were Nazarene. They were from Nazareth. God's plan was that Christ should be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is 90 miles from Nazareth. It would be so impractical for Joseph and Mary who were living in, in the town of Nazareth to give birth to Bethlehem. It's not their place. They don't have relatives there. But notice how God is moving history. He is using a, go, uh, a, a, a pagan emperor to issue a decree. And what is this decree? That everyone should go back to their hometown, to their birthplace. See that? Why would Jesus be born in Bethlehem? Because God used a decree of the Roman emperor. To fulfill his plan. Brethren, God is moving history. Acts 17.26 From one man, he, God, made all the nations. Take note, all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Friends, one nation is there because God allows them to be there. If there are powerful nations now, they are powerful because God allows them to be powerful. But let us not forget who put them there. God made the Babylonians powerful one time, but God put them down. God allowed the Assyrians to rise, but then God allows them to fall. God allows the Roman Empire to be the greatest world power. And yet, where is the Roman Empire now? 
See, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, take note, their appointed times in history. Friends, the power of a nation does not rest on their own power. It's, it rests on the hands of God. See? God appointed times in history and boundaries of their land. All right? So nothing is really by chance. God is orchestrating all things to the fulfillment of His plan. And what is the greatest plan of God? Salvation of mankind. And that salvation must start with the birth of the Savior. All right? And why, why is God doing this? Now, Acts tells us, and again, it is Luke who chronicles this. God did this, you know, through the mouth of Paul, saying, God did this so that they would what? Seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. Brethren, the reason why God is orchestrating everything in the global picture, in the global history, you might be wondering, if God is there, why is there war in Syria? Why is this war in Israel and in Gaza, Ukraine and Russia? Why? This is the answer of the Bible. God did this so that they would seek Him. Amen? Perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Brethren, God's plan is that people will reach out to Him. God is causing all these things to happen in the global scene because God desires that man should seek out for Him. And God is saying, He is not hard to find. It is God who is taking the initiative to find us. The problem with humanity is this. We're blinded with all our idols. Man is blinding himself. God is here. If you look at history, that's God unfolding Himself. But we choose to give Him our blind eyes. See? Though He is not far from any one of us. Friends, that's the global plan of God. He wants us to find Him. He is the one reaching out. So that's the difference between Christianity and other religions. Other religions in the world, you have to find your salvation. You have to find your God. Christianity is God coming down to find us. And I praise God that He found me. Are you happy that God found you? But perhaps there are some of us here are still lost. Find God because He is not difficult to find. And so, in verse 3, it says, and everyone went to his own town to register. See, God is orchestrating the global scene and now that global thing is affecting these two couple in an obscure town in Nazareth. Because of this plan of, of Caesar Augustus to expand his kingdom, to build more bridges and roads, now that plan reached the local scene. And because Israel, the Jews, are under the Roman Empire, 
they have to follow the decree. And what is the decree? Go back to your birthplace. So now we find the difficulty. Imagine Mary and Joseph. They were just planning an ordinary wedding, an ordinary marriage. They're just planning, you know. Joseph just wanted to perhaps enlarge his carpentry business. Mary was just planning to be an ordinary housewife. But those things are gone. Now, they have to move. You know, a global decree has been issued that should displace them from their comfort. Friends, sometimes God's plan means us getting out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we have to get out from families and friends. That's what happened to Mary and Joseph here. God's course for them is Mary and Joseph, I know. Nazareth is a very comfortable, all your relatives are here. But that's not my plan. Go 90 miles up. <laughs> because that's where the Savior must be born. Let's go to the second scene. So that's from the global scene. God is moving global history to fulfill His plan. What about the biblical? What about the scripture? Second, now let me correct the notes there. Can you please change the word remember to recognize? You know? Because I find the word recognize more appropriate. It's heavier than just remembering scripture. Recognize it. When you say recognize God's prophetical plan, it means that there is, there is some weight in there. See? Why, why is this decree allowed by God? Because this decree would move this couple to fulfill a prophetic word of God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? Not a single iota, not a tittle will fall from the scripture until what? Every one of them is fulfilled. Everything God has written through His prophets, everything will be fulfilled because that's the plan of God. So as Christians, if we want to stay on the course of God, we have to stick to His Word. Amen? Don't go from the left to the right. A lot of people are saying, if you stick to the Scripture, you're antiquated. You belong to the ancient world. Friends, we stick to the Word of God because it's the only way to stay on course. Amen? If you start to live your life outside from the standards of the Scripture, you are in big trouble. It's like you are throwing the map that leads you to the promised land. Brethren, He has given us the Scripture to be our guide. See? So recognize God's prophetic plan. Look, look at verse 4. We are now in verse 4. We are only studying seven verses this morning. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now we see here that God's plan is unfolding and now the global is meeting the prophetical. Alright? Joseph went up now. By the way, you say went up from the town of Nazareth. Like if you look at the map, 
Look at the map. Nazareth is north. Bethlehem is far south. But why does Luke says Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth? So we're saying, again, here, Luke is wrong. No, he's not. All right? Because when the Bible says, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth. Okay, look at Nazareth there. That's 90 miles. To go to Jerusalem. And remember, Jerusalem is a mountainous area. Those of us who went there two years ago, remember, we were really ascending. Because Nazareth, in order to reach Jerusalem and Bethlehem, they have to, to ascend some 2,500 feet up. Because Bethlehem, you know, that place there, it's called Mount Zion. It's a mountain area. That's why it's cold in Jerusalem. Because it's high. Okay? So the Temple Mount, it says it's called Temple Mount because it's in the peak of the Mount Zion. Alright? So when Luke says they went up because they have to ascend some 2,500 feet high. Alright? So the Bible is not wrong. Yes, Nazareth is up there. But in order to go to Bethlehem in Judea, Mary and Joseph, I want you to understand this. This is the difficulty of following God's path. It's difficult because Mary is about to give birth and the travel would take them a week. No train at that time. Sorry. No plane, no bus. Only a donkey ride. <laughs> All right? And according to scholars, it would take them five to seven days. Now, because Mary was pregnant, they could not be, you know, in a speed, you know, journey. No, because she was pregnant. So the difficulty is there. Lord, we have good maternity and we have good gynecologists here in Nazareth. Why you would want us to go to Bethlehem? See? But that's the plan of God. See? The plan of God is that the Messiah must be born where? In Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So now God is moving. God is causing a pagan king, a pagan emperor to make a decree. And this decree would allow this couple to leave their comfort so that they have to go. See, there are no coincidences here. This is plain God unfolding fulfilling his plans. So Joseph, you know, and Mary, they left the town of Nazareth in Galilee, that's in the Galilee area. Okay, those of you who will be going to Israel, you'll be going to the Galilean area. They are now going to Bethlehem, going up to the town of David. Now, it says there, Bethlehem, the town of David. By the way, in the Bible, listen, there are two known as cities of David. All right? You might be confused. Jerusalem is called City of David. Bethlehem is called City of David. Now, you might be confused. How come there are two cities of David? Now, here's the explanation. Jerusalem became the City of David because that's where he reigned as king. That's where his palace was built. But Bethlehem is called the City of David because that's where he was born. Remember? He was born in Bethlehem. Jesse was from Bethlehem. So both cities, when he became king, are known as city of David. Jerusalem, that's where he reigned because that was his throne. 
Bethlehem, his birthplace. So here, they went to Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, Bethlehem, because Bethlehem is where they were born. Alright? So according to the census, so just like a reunion. So can you just imagine this little town of Bethlehem swelling with people because there was a census. So, you know, people were coming from different places. If you belong to the tribe, remember, they're so particular with their ancestry. So if you belong to the tribe of David, so remember, in, in the book of, of Daniel, all the land were what? Allotted with respective tribes. So those, which tribe does David belong to? Judah. So this is the lot of Judah. All right? In Judea. So they went there. That was the national setting. The global setting caused this couple to go up to Bethlehem in Judea. Now again, why? It was to fulfill the plan. Micah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, God already spoke to the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. All right? Literally too small because literally it was a very small area. You are very small among the clans of Judah. And yet, notice this, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This is a messianic psalm, brethren. God is saying, you, Bethlehem, you're small, and yet I chose you. If you ask God why he chose it, we don't know. It's his plan. See? Somehow that's the way of God. He wants to make things great from small things. See? The Savior was born not in the greatest city, but in a stinky, smelly stable. See? That's usually the case of God. See? He doesn't want things to be glorious because of what they are. He wants things to be glorious because of who He is. Amen? He wants this little town of Bethlehem to be known, not because of what they have, but what they can produce. Because in it, in that place, the ruler will come. And how, we, how do we know that this is the Messiah? How do we know that he's the ruler because he's coming from what? From old, from ancient days. By the way, the Hebrew word ancient days can also literally be translated in eternity. See? So we here, we find here an indication from the, from the prof prophecies that the Messiah is not just a human being coming from the loins of David himself. That the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has no beginning. Therefore, he is a God. Are you following? And this is amazing, brethren. See? God is fulfilling his plan. And part of the plan of God is to cause what? It is to cause Mary and Joseph to be displaced. It is part of his plan that you, Mary, and Joseph will find inconvenience, discomfort. How would Mary and Joseph take note? Pwede ramang yun to kay si God, di ba? Pwede mang yun si God nga. Kay God man siya, nothing is impossible. Pwede mang yun, God could possibly do nga, 
you know, the, the annunciation happened today and then tomorrow he could, she could give birth. I mean, God can do that. I mean, God did the world, the universe, with just saying, let there be. But why do you think God allows Jesus to follow the normal course of growth nine months? Why? To give them more time to doubt? <laughs> to give them more time to question? Remember? The same way when God asked, remember? When God asked Abraham to sacrifice your son, I mean, Abraham could sacrifice, you know, Isaac sa backyard. Why would God ask Abraham to travel so many mountains? Like, God could, I mean, Abraham could ask God, Lord, uh, Lord? I mean, I can offer Isaac anywhere. But God says, I want you to go far. See? Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God wants us to be what? Discomfort inconvenient because God wants to see, are you really in? <laughs> see? That would give them time. See? Nine, I mean, it's so easy for Joseph to change his mind on the third month. Uh, Mary, I'm sorry, I think I changed my mind. I found somebody else. See? I found somebody else. Maybe, you know, I, I was thinking... God gave them nine months. And now, the nine months is about to end. And God is telling them, go to Bethlehem. And did the angel, did the angel tell them to go to Bethlehem? Yes or no? No. It was the emperor. <laughs> See? God can use the emperor. See? There was... If, if you go back, go back to Matthew chapter 1, go back to Luke chapter 2, I mean chapter 1, you will never find that the angel Gabriel says, Mary, you're going to be the mother and you are going to have this delivery in Bethlehem. No, not even to Joseph. It was the emperor who brought them there. See? Because God's plan was that the Messiah be born in Bethlehem. By the way, what's the meaning of the word Bethlehem? Pastor Ken explained this during the cantata. Bethlehem. Beth means what? House of bread. House of bread. He's going to be born in a city known as the house of bread. You know why? Because he himself is the bread of life. Isn't it amazing, brethren? That the bread of life be born in a city known as a house of bread. Because all of us are dying of starvation. And Christ will satisfy us forever. Isn't that amazing? So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth, Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because they belong to the house and line of David. Another fulfillment of prophecy, because according to 2 Samuel, that the Messiah should come from the line of David. And both of them, right, from the paternal and maternal side, Mary and Joseph were from the line of David. Isn't that powerful? 2 Samuel 7.12, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. You might think, oh, that's Solomon. 
He is the one who will build my a house for my name. Yes, that's Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. No, that's not Solomon. Because the kingdom of Solomon was divided. It was destroyed. It ceased to be a kingdom in 538 BC. So that's not Solomon. All right? And the angel Gabriel confirmed that to Mary. Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. And this son is the son of David and his kingdom will not end. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic prophecy. So, there, so the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ has a global setting. It has a prophetical setting. Everything happened according to the course of God. Question, will Mary and Joseph follow through? See? Because sometimes we are confronted with God's plan. We know that's a, the plan of God for our lives. Question, are you going to stay on the course of God or you choose, you know, a more convenient path. Friends, this is where God want, would want us to travel to the road less traveled. And the song says, this is the road to impossible. Right? But the Bible says, notice verse 5, he went there. See? He went. I mean, was it Okay, do you think at that time people who don't follow the census, were they killed? I don't think so. Just like us, a lot of us don't follow census. But he went there to register with Mary. Take note, with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This was winter season. Yes, if, if, if our dating is correct, that Christ was born on December then it's winter season in Jerusalem. When we went there, it was what? March? It was still winter. See? It's winter season. And that's difficult for a pregnant woman to travel. But friends, they did that. Amen? They traveled. They went there. They followed the will of God. And you know what? Just like what the song that was sung a while ago by the choir Joseph and Mary may have a bright futures up ahead, and now it's fading, so it seems. And then, this is part of the lyrics. I'm just, it's like, this is what Mary and Joseph says, Lord, if this is what you've chosen, I will follow, I am open. Do you think we have the same heart of Mary and Joseph? When God gives us a plan, do you have that openness? Lord, if this is what you want, if Bethlehem, so it is. It's difficult, Lord. It's difficult for my wife. Pero imo man yung anak, Lord. Di man yung ako. Ikaw magbuot. See? To do your will is the greatest honor I will know. Brethren, I hope we have that same heart. Lord, to do your will is the greatest honor I will, I will know. To hear your voice is a treasure worth so far more than gold. And yet these lines are quite elusive these days because people are more after of gold than God. We would rather have more gold than God. We would rather work hard on a Sunday because we can get more gold 
and not go to church. To hear your voice is a treasure. Do you think that's your principle in life? I could earn more if I work on a Sunday, but I want to hear God's word. Maniragyo tag domingo. Because it's the Lord's day. Amen? Nganong sirado inyong ligusyog domingo? Nadaghan man customer Because we are Christians. It's the Lord's day. And if I belong to the Lord, then the Lord's people must be in the Lord's house on a Lord's day. Amen? If you call yourself a Lord's people, to hear your voice is the treasure worth so far more than gold. You are God. You are faithful. Where you lead me, I will go. I will trust you on this road, the road to impossible. Friends, Recognize the prophetical plan of God in your life. Recognize the scripture as your guide. That was the guide. See? Mary and Joseph were devout Jews, so they know the scripture. And it was difficult. It was impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Now let's go to the third and last. Receive God's personal plan. So friends, the birth of our Messiah has a global setting. It has a prophetical setting. But it has also a personal setting. Now let's go to the personal one. Alright? So they followed the global decree. They're in Bethlehem because of some prophetical message of God. Now look at verse 6. We're about 6, 7, and 8. We're about to end. While they were there, where? In Bethlehem. The time came for the baby to be born. So, can you imagine this? At the exact moment, exact time, exact place, God had them where God wants them to be. Amen? Because they follow the course of God. Friends, in a world that is chaotic, in a world that is uncertain in a world that is changing the standards of morality as Christians stick to the course of God. Even if we become unpopular, time will come that our teachings here in Bradford Church will be so unpopular in the city that people would say, don't go to the church. They're so antiquated. They're bookish. Bible-only church. Well, it doesn't matter because that's where God wants us. Stick to the course. Stick to the plan. They were there because God was, wants them to be. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Very important though, just quickly, firstborn son that really in, you know, tells us that Jesus being called by Luke as the firstborn, therefore Luke writing understood that there were other children because he could not be the firstborn if he's the only. He could just, you know, Luke could have just used a different word. There's a, a different word for an only son, monogene. He did not use that. He used prototokos, which means a firstborn. In other words, the idea, if you use that word, it means there were other siblings. See, a son. She wrapped him in a swaddling cloth. Now, we know that. What's, why, why is it important? Well, one, because that's the most natural way to do 
They would wrap their babies. You know, even today, we do that. Di ba, Nay? Nay, inana ba? Inig panganak? I-wrap yun, Nay? Okay, so biblical day na siya, Nay. Alright? But we've learned that from our lesson from the shepherd. There was a second, there's another significance of, of swaddling clothes. Because the angel said, remember, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. Right? That is very significant because it serves as a sign. A sign that you will not miss the one swaddled baby on a cloth in a manger. That's him. That's the savior of the world. Yes, there could be so many babies, hundreds of babies in swaddling clothes at that time, but not in a manger. Surely there is some symbolism there. Friends, we find here that God, the Son, was born in a manger. See? Can you just imagine the smell of the animals? That's the atmosphere. That's the smell of nature when Jesus Christ was born. He was breathing oxygen mixed with what? The smell of dung. The smell of hay. The smell of straw. See? That's the smell. Surely there is some symbolism there, brethren. The humility of our Lord. See? And that symbolizes the smell of dirt. The dirtiness of this world caused by sin. See? The symbolism there is that God's Son was born in the backdrop of a stable, a dirty place where animals would feed why? Because that's the world that Jesus enters in. The stink of sin. The smell of death. Because these animals, one day, they will be killed. They will be slaughtered. That's the place. That's the setting where our Lord was born. Why? Because that's the destiny of this child. He was born to die. He was born to get dirty with our sin. That's the setting, brethren. That's the personal setting. God's plan is to become man. According to Paul in Philippians 2, 6, who, though he was in the form of God, that's Jesus, in all form, in all nature, he's God. But notice what Paul says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Literally, a thing that he could boast. See? He could not boast. He wasn't boasting. Instead, notice this, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And you know what? He didn't just humble himself to become like you and me, to sweat like you and me. He went farther when he died on the cross. Why? Because the Bible says, there was no room for them in the inn. People were so crowded, symbolic of the crowdedness of our lives. A lot of us, we crowd our hearts with so many things, with our own plans, you know, with our own possessions, that our Christmas can be so crowded that Christ no longer has any room to celebrate. We miss Him. The first Christmas, he was missed, probably same year after year. People saying, Merry Christmas, but without Christ there. 
because we're filled with gifts, parties, and for us, church, of course, cantatas. That's why we always, every time we have our rehearsal, I always remind the choir, yes, we're so busy during Christmas season, but please, please let us not forget Jesus. He's the reason for the cantata, not people. See? We don't tire ourselves for two months nightly rehearsal just to entertain people who would just give us a clap. And that's it. Is, is that the reward? No. He's the one that we want to have the applause. Amen? He's the one that we want to celebrate. No room for Him in the end, even today. Because Christmas today can be so commercialized that it's all about bonus, it's all about party, it's all about money, it's all about gifts, it's all about vacation without ever telling Jesus, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for being born. Right? JR, can you please click my... I'd like to quote John MacArthur here as I close. It was fitting in a sense then that he was born in a stinking, smelly manger because what was smelled far worse to the nostrils of God than the odor of animals is the odor of sinners. And that's true. See? Christ's birth in a manger was just symbolic of the smell of death and smell of sin that reaches the nostrils of God. And brethren, you know the good news? Because Jesus coming to earth and death on the cross, you and I don't smell the smell of death, but the smell of being alive. Amen? The smell of being alive. And brethren, that's the story of Christmas. It has a global setting, a prophetical setting, and a personal setting. And what is the personal setting? The personal setting is this. Would you have a room for Jesus in your life? Would you have a room of Jesus in your business, in your family? See? Have room for Christ. Now, according to John, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And here's the problem. The world did not know him. Brethren, do you know him? The know here is not Oida. Personal knowledge. Do you know him personally? He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Question. Have you received Christ in your life? Have you received him? Think and ponder on these words. He came to his own. He came to the Jewish people, but they did not receive him. But here's the good news. But as many as receive him, that includes you and me, to them he gave what? The right to become children of God. Those who what? Believe in his name. So what's the personal challenge? The personal challenge is this. Give room for Christ in your life. Don't allow your life to be so crowded with your own plans, with your own schemes that you will end up like Bethlehem, visited by the Lord but unwilling to welcome Him. May we truly welcome Christ into our lives. 
And it doesn't matter, Pastor, I did that many years ago. It doesn't matter if you do that year after year. In fact, do that day after day. Welcome Him because He will truly come and enter and be the Lord of your lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this Christmas season. Thank You, Lord, that You're the God who is orchestrating global affairs. And everything going on in the world, though it may shatter us, it may cause us to fear and anxious, but help us to rest on the fact that even what's going on in the world is part of your plan. We may not understand it now, but soon it will accomplish your plan. Help us, Lord, to follow, to recognize your prophetic word. And above all, to receive, to receive your personal plan, Christ, in our heart. He is the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.